Is it good now? All right. Welcome again. Uh, we have kind of a fun time today, and yet I think this can be a very, very challenging day today uh, for the message that we have here. If you join me in prayer, Father, I know that uh, when you created mankind, mankind was created for you to be within man. And all the pleasures and riches and money and all the different uh, just things that we might enjoy were always meant to be external. And yet we, as men and women, we decided that we would reverse that. And we would take and remove you from the place that you belonged and put things, no matter what they were, in place of you. And it left us in such a place of possessiveness that we... We are so uh, possessive of this is me and this is mine. And we need that rooted out. And I remember, Jehovah, when you came to Abraham and you said, Oh, Abraham, I never, ever intended for you to actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart where I belonged and to put you back the way that you originally designed. And Father, you know that uh, the cautiousness that I have of carrying this message today. Uh, it's fragile. I have uh, nothing within myself to bring that to you, nor to these people. But I would ask you, Holy Spirit, to move amongst the people out there through the uh, video podcasts and all the different ways and touch their hearts of where they sit, where they stand. I pray that you would penetrate the homes and that they would have a new light Remove any flesh that, uh, that we have and pray that your Holy Spirit would just fall afresh upon us and surround us, canopy us with your consuming fire that the enemy and his uh, flames would be extinguished. And we ask this with boldness in the name of Jesus. Amen. I was uh, on my way over here today and I was thinking of an illustration that, that would relate to this topic we are back again to remind ourselves that at the beginning of this book of Ecclesiastes that we realize that there was a theme that would help you understand how to interpret Ecclesiastes, how to make it effective in your life. And one of the themes that we came away with that we would get reiterate all the time was that, that if you tried to enjoy anything in this life, that it would be impossible, it would be in vain, it would be like smoke. And as you remember uh, that uh, Ben said, it's kind of like lighting a candle and there goes that flame extinguished out. And that we needed to know that there was a secret to this. And the secret was that there was a gift. And the gift came from God. And then also the gift to enjoy the gift came from God. And if we would put these in the right place, we could find pleasure in the things of God. I read something here, it says, uh, things will never uh, give you the one great pleasure that lies at the center of life, but they can complement it. But only in the aftertaste of the union with God do these lesser tastes become pleasurable. And I think that is real key. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, through chapter 6, verse 9. There's a lot of verses here. But I want you to think uh, of something and a couple illustrations that came to me because I'd have to say in my life, this truth in my life 
had probably one of the greatest impacts in my life for trusting in God. Because you come to a pivotal place in your life, you come to a decision that needs to be made, and I think it's really important that we decide we can play along the game, we can go ahead, and uh, you can even kind of fake Christianity a lot. It's been done by a lot of people, and it's been done by a lot of us. Uh, but you're going to come to a place today with this truth today that if you're going to decide to get on board, you can't fake it. This is something that will make your life real and make this a trust real because this story right here and this whole thing of this portion of Scripture is about trust. It's about your heart. And so when I was on my way over here, I was thinking of skydiving, and I've never skydived. I've always kind of thought that'd be kind of fun. But I hear that people skydive, and, and I always kind of think it's cheating because when they skydive, they have somebody laying on your back, and then you jump out, and then that guy kind of tells you what to do and pulls the plane, and, and it's scary, and it has all of those different uh, emotional things that you want when you skydive. But I'm going to ask you today to jump out of the plane without somebody lying on your back. Uh, to make it more real to me, uh, I think, uh, as I used to play baseball, and maybe you came down to the end of the season, the end of the tournaments, you're in the final game that puts you then moving on into a World Series game or not, and the tie score, it is one-to-one. -one. There's a guy on third base, but there's two outs, and the coach looks down the lineup, and he points and he says, grab a bat. Now, a lot of people long for that opportunity. I get a chance to get in here and get the hit and win the game and send us on to the, the next tournament so the whole season now continues on. But there are a lot of people that do not want the bat. They want to watch. They want to sit in the dugout and cheer and maybe hope because they do not challenge or they do not like the challenge of possibly losing, possibly failing, possibly being the goat and not the hero. And by the way, if you know anything about baseball, uh, if you're one of the highest paid, most uh, millionaire baseball player, that means out of 10 times at the plate, you're going out seven times. You're only going to have three times where you're going to make it. So the chances are not real high here. And so I have found that people in life, they like to kind of uh, sit back and they like to kind of watch from a distance and hope that maybe somebody else will bring them to the next game. This message is a lot like that. Solomon is going to challenge you with something that is going to basically ask you, are you in the game or not? You probably remember the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and uh, said, oh, you know, what do I need to do? And, and when Jesus told him uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God, and to keep the commandments, and, and all four Gospels record this in a little different way, he says, I've done those things. And he said, okay, then take all that you have and give to the poor. Sell it and give it to the poor. He didn't want to play the game. He wanted to watch from the sidelines. He wanted to go ahead and watch and basically see, because he liked that part. There was not a real big uh, investment in it. And so here we have, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we have Solomon coming to a place where he is going to talk about the riches, the money, uh, and all the different things that money can buy you, and... He's going to ask you, are you going to be in the game, or are you going to watch from the sideline? 
And I can tell you from my own life that for the majority of my life, I watched from the sideline in this. And there was a time in my life that God challenged me with this message, challenged me in my own heart. And when I began to move towards this and begin to say, I want the bat. I want up. Something happened in my faith. Something happened that gave me a trust in a God that I don't know that I knew before. I felt like Job where he says, I'd heard of you before, I'd spoken to you before, but now I see you and now I know you. I'm going to ask you today to consider that challenge as we walk through here. And so as we look here in chapter 5, we start at verse 8, and it says, If you <clears throat> see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the pr province, do not be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. For after all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. You know, I, I think it starts out here, and what I end up seeing, at least in my years of living on this planet, uh, in leadership, from whether it be presidents or you watch from on the news of different kingdoms, uh, it seems like there is a hoarding of riches and there is taking advantage of the poor and the innocent. And I believe that if we go ahead and we look at this verse, we're going to see that if, if a ruler will take care of the little guy, he will have, end up having peace in the land. So there's a motivation uh, in politics, there's a motivation in churches, there's a motivation in businesses to hoard uh, because of what one wants. So then he moves into verse 10. In verse 10 he says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income, for this too is vanity. And we see here that the more that we have, the more that we want. And I've seen that true in people's lives that I've been around. I've seen it true in my own life sometimes. It's uh, like the more you have, then the more you want, and, and you want this. And, and now with what we have with the, the, the getting on the Internet, it's unlimited the amount of choices that you can have. And there's always a fear that maybe we just didn't make quite the best choice. And so what happens is it just comes, and we want more, and we want more. And it says you'll never be satisfied. Solomon is a guy that tried it all. You've tried it maybe, but Solomon really gave the try. And I don't doubt that he sat absolutely fretting over some of the things he built on the buildings, the, some of the ponds that he made, some of the singers he picked. Oh, I should have picked that one singer. And how I know that is because what he's writing here. He basically says, now rule number one is the more you have, the more you're going to want. And, uh, and I think with the abundance, Jesus says, take heed and beware of covetousness. The one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Uh, Proverbs 30, uh, verse 8 through 9 says, Two things I ask of you not to refuse me before I die. Uh, keep lies and deception far from me. And give me neither riches nor poverty. And he said, feed me with the food that is my portion. And I think you've got to remember that, that this was written by a man that was told all these things before, which we're going to look at later. And if you'll see this, this whole portion of Scripture, we're going to go back and see it fairly repeated back in First Chronicles by Solomon's father, David. David is going to tell us this all the same thing here. And then at the end of that, he says, And God, oh my father, please, 
Watch over my son Solomon that he may keep these things. Well, we find that Solomon didn't. And so Solomon writes a note to us about these things. Uh, the second truth, let's look at verse uh, 11. And when good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what's the advantage to the owners except to look on? Here's what we end up having is, and I, an author that I had read before, William McDonald, says that when a man's possessions increase, it seems like there's a corresponding increase in the number of parasites that live off him. Uh, consultants now we need. We need tax people now, advisors. We need accountants. We need lawyers. Uh, we need cleaning people, lawn boys. And then we have sponging relatives that want everything that we've got. And so the more that we make, the more that we spend. The more we make, the more we have to put out. And it's funny that we, we drive our whole life to do this, and yet we can see that it profits nothing as we increase there. And Solomon made that very clear. He also says then in verse 12, he says that the, the sleep of the working man is very pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. So we have another truth. The more we have, the more we worry. Uh, I have a lot of different friends from different economic uh, status that uh, during this time of this crisis, that when this virus hit and everything started to shut down and you saw the stock markets go down, I could tell who had stock. And I could tell who didn't have stock. Some people didn't bother. They said, I didn't even know about that. What do you mean it went down? You know, and other people are freaking out. My whole, you know, so they couldn't sleep. They can't sleep at night. They're worried, is this going to ever come back? Am I going to be without my retirement? Oh, no, what am I going to do? I can't work anymore. And so you have that going for the person that has more. He has more. He doesn't sleep and rest. He doesn't just trust. He doesn't relax. And this is one of the points that Solomon is making. We then move on to verses 13 through 14. And it says, There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun. Riches have been hoarded by their owner to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. So we have here, the more that we have, the more we lose. Solomon's saying you can't lose what you don't have. And he's pointing out that anyone who has ever bought a home or the first time understands something, we start to panic. I, I, I remember the first car that I got that I thought was pretty cool. And I went out and I shined it up and I scraped it up and I mean shined it up and waxed it up. And it's amazing that all of a sudden you're so protective. You didn't used to worry about where you parked and now you kind of park out further in the parking lot. And uh, even though it was very upsetting to me that I lost the, the shine of it with the first scratch, there was something also peaceful about the first scratch, is that now uh, I didn't care. Now I have cars that I spray paint with white paint, and then the rust comes through them. And so when somebody opens the door and clicks me, they think they've really got me. I just take my spray paint, and I just spray it down. So the more you have, the more you lose. We then go to verses 15 through 17. And it says, uh, and he has come, excuse me just a minute, and, and he had come naked from his mother's womb, so you will return as he came, and he will take nothing from the fruit of the labor that he can carry in his hand. And this also is a grievous evil, exactly as a man is born, thus 
will he die? So then what is the advantage to him who toils after the wind? It says here, the more we have, the more you leave behind. There's a statement that says, there is no own, there's only loan. Uh, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so you see that when Solomon is pointing out here, this is the pursuit of money. This is the pursuit of things. This is the pursuit of whatever it is that your heart is treasuring, uh, it is going to be pursued in this way. And by the way, your heart will be divided. It cannot serve two masters. It will love one and hate the other one or hold to one and despise the other one. And he's saying that he went after that and this is the results. These are the curses that come with those things. Now, remember, we're not left here as we're going to see, but we got to realize that why in the world do we work and toil the way that we toil? Even in Psalm 127, it says, uh, the watchman lies awake in vain all night. And he said, uh, isn't it God that watches over his home? And he, then he says, and also you, you're foolish to wake up early, work all day, and then go to bed late at night. Does not God give to his beloved even while he sleeps? And so there's going to be a solution that we're going to look at as we go through here. Uh, then we come to the, uh, verse 19, and it says, uh, Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift from God. Now here's what we have the light shine on a passage, right stuck in the middle of this portion of Scripture, we're going to see the key to the whole book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to also see a key that if we get a little deeper into this, the key to what I was talking about of you deciding to get up to the plate. And that is to remember this, the ability to earn money is a gift from God. It is totally a gift from God. The ability, and I was sitting there listening to you guys sing, and to, to listen to your voices. And Hannah, I, I just, I, it's angelic sometimes when I hear your voices. And, and Tom, your creativity and the stuff. It's like, but I had to realize when I was preparing this, God gave you that gift. This is only a gift from God. And if you think that somehow it's not a gift from God, you will miss where we're going. Every single thing that we have, the ability to earn money, is a gift from God. He also goes on to say this, that our ability to enjoy money is also a gift from God. So you've got this treasure that God's given you to earn money, to earn things, to buy things, but it's a gift from God, and every single time we need to recognize that this is a gift from God. We also need to know that even the ability to enjoy the gift is a gift from God. And so this is key right here. And we're going to come back to it, but I want you to realize that in the middle of this, there's something really deep and something that's going to challenge you. And, uh, and, and I think in my life, when I came to the place of this challenge and I had to decide which way I'm going to go or, or whether I was going to say, okay, I'll take the bat and go up to the plate and I will chance losing it. Or like the rich young man, all right, Father, everything I have is a gift from you everything I have, you gave to me. So therefore, God, what do you want with this that already belongs to you? And we're going to look at it. John D. Rockefeller in 1905 said, God gave me money. I believe the power to make money is a gift from God and also the ability uh, and was developed and used to the best of our ability for the good of mankind. So having been endowed with this gift I possess, 
I believe it is my duty to make money and steal more money to use the money that I make for the good of fellow man according to the dictates of my conscience as led by God. This is Rockefeller. He came to understand that everything came from God. He came to understand that then it was also God's gift to even enjoy the gift. J.C. Penney, who started Penney's, uh, his store took off and made a big, big boom when he first took off, and it was exploding across the country. It was becoming one of the most uh, highest money-making stores, department stores there was. But as you knew the story, and if you ever followed the story of J.C. Penney, uh, he had a mental breakdown. And in the mental breakdown, he wanted to just end his life. He said, all that I have gotten, all that I have, has caused me nothing but pain and its vanity. And, uh, and so he basically was in the hospital and just waiting to die. Did not want anybody to be around him. And he heard out in the hallway, there were these visiting nuns that were coming by, and they were singing a song about God. They were singing a song about God's faithfulness. And... At that point, it said that J.C. Penney, he heard that, and he said it was almost like this song came down from heaven to his life and came and opened up his heart. He got off his bed, knelt down, and he received the living God at that point in his life and went on at that point then to live a life where it was full because now he knew that everything he had was a gift from God, but everything that he had, God was wanting something more than the gift, and God was wanting him. And when he gave himself to God, he said his entire life began to change. You see, I think that we are coming to realize that having any kind of money or any kind of possession without Jesus is vanity, and it is striving after the wind. And it moves in that direction. So now let's look at verse 20. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Now, you cannot read that apart from verse 19. To realize and understand that there is a God in charge of this world, there's a God that's sovereignly in charge of everything out here, and that, that everything I have is a gift. Once I understand that and I appreciate who he is and I know the fullness of who he is, then it says, then, then enjoy the moment. Live in the moment. Uh, enjoy what you're doing. I... Uh, was thinking of some decisions that a lot of us are in. Uh, we're trying to make decisions, and we're hoping they're good decisions on something we're purchasing. And, uh, and sometimes you wonder, gosh, did I make the right one? Did I make the wrong one? And it's amazing. It can keep you up at night because you can go back and forth and back and forth. And uh, I had that same thing happen as I was sitting over here getting ready to come up here and visit with you. I thought, okay, what story do I share? What story do I not share? What, what do I say? What verse do I quote? What verse do I attempt to quote? What, and it was back and forth and back and forth. And I literally was losing more and more peace until I decided, let me just forget about this and enter into the worship of the music. When I listened to the music and let God's word speak to me, I finally realized, you know what, God? This is your show. And uh, you have the right to do anything that you want to do. And you have a message that you want to have come across. And so when I decided that I'm just going to enjoy the moment. And I'm going to come up here and, uh, and go ahead and say, what comes to my mind, Father? I've studied for hours and hours on this. You use to their benefit. And what shouldn't be said, I'm going to trust that you're going to go ahead and not share it. 
I believe that it says that the, everything is safe which we commit to him and nothing is really safe which is not so committed. If you're a guy like I do, I've read a proverb uh, for a long, long time. Every, every day that it's the third of the month, then I'll read Proverbs 3. It's interesting in Proverbs 3 that it says, Trust in the Lord with all your might or all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. If you'll notice right after this, it's an interesting thing. He says uh, that we are to then give to the Lord that which is him. That honor him by the best of all that you have, by your fruit of your produce. And so one of the things that I think I'm going to challenge you with is gratefulness will cultivate this experience. And when I say gratefulness, I'm saying, what are you grateful for? Or are you like Billy Graham says, he said, there is an easy way to determine whether or not you're a thankful person. Do you dwell on what you have or do you dwell on what you don't have? Where's your mindset? Okay, let me come back to Solomon's father. And this portion of scripture, I think if you ever uh, want to try to memorize it or write it down and keep it, this is an extraordinary portion of scripture, and it's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And, uh, and David has just raised all the money he ha has for the temple. David is not going to get to build the temple. The temple is going to be built by his son. And, uh, but he raised all the money, and not only did he raise the money, but he did something else uh, with, with the money. But he says this, starting in verse 10. Blessed art thou, O Lord of Israel and fathers forever and ever. For thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty and everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Thine is the dominion. O Lord, and thou dost exalt yourself head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. So now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. For who am I and who are my people that we should ever be able to offer as generously as we have? For all things came from you, and from your hand we've given you. We're so generous before, and tenants like our fathers were in the days on the earth. They're like a shadow, and there is no hope. But, O oh Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is just from your hand that we took it all. Since I know then, O oh my God, that thou triest the heart and delights in the uprightness, I in the integrity of my heart have willingly offered all these things. So, so now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willing to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And this is where it's interesting. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep these commandments, thy testimonies and your statutes, and to do with them, all of them, to build the temple that I provided. So here we have almost a repeat from what he did. And, and I think that if we'll look at this thing, here's my challenge to you and my challenge to me in this here is, I believe Jehovah Jireh knows exactly what you need. Proverbs 16 says he pours out the portion for you, whatever it might be. You have to come to a place, like David said, when he came to verse 5, he said, okay, 
Who then is going to be willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? That word means, are you willing to go ahead and grab the bat and come up to the plate? Are you willing to lay everything that you own, everything you possess, and that can be from every type of clothing to everything in your home, to your money, to your stocks, to your retirements, are you willing to go ahead and lay these things down and say, you know what, Lord, I trust you. I no longer want to trust in me and my, my ability to save and protect. I want to trust you completely with all that I have. Solomon is saying this is the crutch of leaning into God. And I remember when I was challenged with that thing and I said to God, I said, God, okay, I want to enter into this. I want to consecrate myself to you. And God began by saying, then root out of your heart anything that is possessing you. Not by fighting it, but by surrendering it. Whatever you lose, you will find for me. So root up from that. Secondly, he said, wait expectantly. To wait on God is to bind myself, to braid myself with him. And here's, here's the thing that I think is so hard for us today is we are such immediate people. And we want it now. We want to get it now. We have credit cards because we don't have the money yet to get it. So we use a credit card so we can get it now. And, uh, and normally what that tells us is that we want to borrow from the future because we don't think God's going to be faithful enough to give to us. Most every little thing that we do and the decisions we make that are cunning in our finances and our possessions is because we are afraid that we will be left out. We're afraid we're going to miss out. And so we have our subtle ways of doing this. Uh, I used to see it so obvious in everybody else. I could tell when everybody else was doing it. But when God began to show me that and to pull back the veil and show me how I was and how cunning I was to make sure I'd protect whatever I had, those are the things that he asked me to give over. He told me to lay them down, to lay it all down. And to basically say the only possible way you're going to do this is the whole book of Ecclesiastes, as this is the book about God wanting to unite himself to my heart. And if he would be united to my heart, it says, they that know their God then will put their trust in him. So this challenge today is a challenge of what you have. I ask you as you sit in your house or you're standing or wherever you are, that you just ask God. He, he's good at telling you. What are you holding on to? What needs to be uprooted from your heart? What possession do you have that is the treasure of your heart? Because you can't have two legions. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll hold the one and despise the other. Get alone, and I pray that you would just list it. And sometimes you might have to go through and start writing down the things that God has given you to know that every single thing I have. I love the way that the Message Bible says, it says, we just snuck over and took something out of your right pocket and we gave it to your left. Do, it, do not all things come from you because everything we have comes from you. To realize that, Father, everything I have is yours. And I lay everything out and list it. List everything you can think of. You might even have to list your kids and your animals and to go ahead and say, I have held on to these and they have robbed my heart just like it was with Abraham. And God said, I didn't expect you to kill the lad. I just wanted to reign where the place that I was meant to reign. After you list those things down, then I'd say, Father, 
I'm frightened in this deal, but I can say this, it's all yours. It all belongs to you. And I feel that when that happens, something at least in my heart, and maybe it was only my heart, but I don't think so because I've talked to other people. When I began to do that and give everything to God, something happened in my walk and my union with God. There was something that took me to a different level. I got to stand up to the plate and the lights were on me and I got to go ahead and realize, okay, all I can do is do my best. And I began to be in the game. And whether in that game what the outcome would have been of that or not, I began to enjoy the pleasure and the fullness of what it was to play in the game and not participate by just watching. I, I feel sorry for the rich young ruler. God asked him, he said, hey, grab a bat, let's play in the game. And he chose to walk away. So I challenge you as we go ahead, and uh, Tom and Hannah, if you'd come up, as we look at uh, taking communion today, I would ask you to think of the pertinence of this message in your life. And if there's some things that God is calling you right now to lay down at the altar, I would ask you to go ahead and consider laying it down. I promise you, you'll never regret it. Solomon goes on later on, as we'll see in the, some of the uh, verses ahead, in the messages ahead, that it's all worth every single thing that we lay down. I don't know what God's going to put in your heart, but I can tell you this. He wants you, and he wants your trust and your love. So as we go ahead and share communion today, there's two things that I'd ask you as we take the bread. If you can take the bread, or go get the bread, take a few minutes to grab it. Do we pass this out in here too, or just, okay. Break the bread. I believe sometimes we can make communion be a rote memory thing that has no value to it whatsoever, and it begins to be something just like religion. I think God chose food and drink because God knew that he made us to exist on food and drink, and it'd be something we would do regularly. And he basically says that, so every time you take bread, every time that you take to nourish yourself, just remember the, who I am and what I have done for you, and do it always in remembrance of me. And he said, therefore, take the bread. But he also warned you, and he warned me. And he said, if God's spoken to you, and you have some things right now, and you're possessing, and you're holding on to, and you don't want to give those up, that's okay. But the choice to give them up doesn't have to follow what you want. That you can say, God, they're yours. But if you're going to go ahead and choose to walk a different direction, say, no, I will not give these up, you might want to consider not breaking bread just today. Because I feel like this is a reminder of who God is and the greatness of your God. For thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything is yours and belongs to you. And you make great and you strengthen everyone. But if you're willing to go ahead and break and offer that sacrifice that you have, I'd ask you to join us right now and break bread. And take together as a community, together and be reminded that he gave his life and broke his body that you might be able to trust in him for he is trustworthy, and to go ahead and lay yourself into his hands. Will you join me kneading the bread? And he also took wine, or took wine or the, whatever it was, <laughs> it was wine in my, and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you, it was poured out for you. I sacrificed all of this for you, 
And it's a reminder that all the time that if you ever get to where you're doubting and, and uh, discouraged, look at the cross and watch the blood flow down from his body that flows down that says, I was killed for you and this blood is to represent my life that now will pour into you and what I have I will never let slip away. My father has you by one hand and I have you by the other. And so every time you take drink, do it always in remembrance of me that I am faithful to what I've called you to. Let's drink together as a body.